This morning I want to bring a symbol that is not all that unfamiliar, and that is I brought a basket of fruit right here. Um, and it's, it's good fruit, it's fake fruit, okay? This is not, this is not the real stuff, okay? Um, the reason why this is so interesting to me is that you know what the definition of a fruit is, right? You know what it takes for something to be called or identified as a fruit, which is really interesting. The fruit is the reproductive part of the plant. It's the reproductive part of the plant. In other words, because the reason why is that a fruit is identified because it has seeds in it. It has seeds in it. That's the reproductive part of the plant. So that being the case, we know that apples and oranges are fruit, right? Because they have seeds in them. Um, I have a lemon here as well um, and, a, and a pear as well. Um, these are fruit because they have seeds in them. Guess what else are fruit? Tomatoes. Cucumbers. Avocados. Right? All of them are technically fruit. That's disgusting, but it's true. Okay? That's just, that's just weird to me. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to avocado or cucumbers or tomatoes at all. I like them, actually. They just don't belong in the fruit category to me because they're vegetables, right? Why are they vegetables? Because they're not sweet. They don't taste really, really particularly good. Listen, and, and I, I like Brussels sprouts, too. And I like broccoli. I love broccoli. I love Brussels sprouts, actually. I'm seeing a... I'm, I'm getting help. Um, um, cauliflower. I, I like cauliflower. You know? All of those are vegetables. Carrots are vegetables. Why? Because they don't have seeds. There's no seeds in them. Asparagus. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with asparagus. I'll be honest with you. I like it, but... Yeah. I don't... Yeah. Um, but asparagus is... Is, is a vegetable. Potatoes are a vegetable, right? That makes sense. There's no seeds. A turnip. I don't know why you'd ever want to eat a turnip. It, turnips are just, they're awful. Um, I, 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 what is that? Amen, right? I heard one comedian describe a, a turnip, and it was hilarious the way he did it. It's like God created it says, no, this didn't come out right. Here, Gabriel, try it. You don't like it either, huh? Well, I'll bury it so they won't find it. I mean, I, I love how that comedian described it, a turnip, you know? They're really hard, I guess, to prepare. Anyways, I want to talk about fruit because I think fruit is such an interesting and fascinating symbol of the resurrection. And I hope that as we go through this passage, I want to share with you today that maybe, hopefully, if I've done something well in terms of explaining this passage, that maybe, just maybe, you will understand why fruit is such an important symbol of the resurrection. And by the way, they're in a basket. By the way, this is one of the reasons why we do baskets at Easter, is because of the fact that people would bring their meal to be blessed by the church. They would bring it in a basket. Did you bring your Easter meal today? Good luck. Um, as we say in my house, it'll rot in your stomach unless you pray for it. Right? Um, 
Just kidding. You'll be fine. You'll be good. Um, here's what I want to share with you this morning is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to share with you because why this symbol of the fruit in a basket is such an important imagery, I think, for the resurrection. The Apostle Paul writes extensively about the resurrection. And I just want to read these 10 verses to you, beginning with verse 20 out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then I want to go back and kind of pull out some things that I, that I see in this passage that are so great about the resurrection. This is what Paul writes, beginning with verse 20. But, now if you know me, that word but is so important in Scripture. Because up until this point, Paul has been talking about what if the resurrection wasn't real? What if the resurrection didn't actually take place? What if all of this was in fact untrue? What if the, in fact that what we were doing here was really just a going through the motions that ended in nothing? It, it, Paul just says it blatantly. He says this, we are to be the most pitied people on the face of the planet. The resurrection didn't happen. We as followers of Jesus are to be pitied above anybody else. Because we're fools. And then Paul says this, but, and that cancels out everything that he said in favor of everything that he's going to say. That's why this word but is so important. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says this, the first fruits of those who are asleep. I love that. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came by a man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjugation under his feet. And when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Ah, oh, what a beautiful passage. Did you catch the first fruits, though, not once, but twice. And I don't know about you, but when someone says something more than once, I better pay attention, right? Immediately, Paul starts off in saying, Jesus is the first fruits. Now, here's what Paul is most likely referencing, is that what is so awesome about this is that Jesus is the first fruit. In other words, God offered us all his very best, and that's Jesus. God offered us all his very best. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about Jesus being the first fruits, it was very common in those days as a good Jewish person. Remember, the, the primary occupation of a Jewish person was being a farmer. They were very much into agriculture. That was their primary role for most Jewish people. And there would be times in seasons, and fruit, by the way, they're dependent upon the season. Fruit is in season or out of season, depending upon where it is. But at this time of year, particularly just around Passover, which we just passed 
literally. Um, we have this time where the people would bring their first fruits, their fruit that they had harvested. And around this time, I looked this up as well, the fruit that is oftentimes most ready to be harvested this time of year are apples, oranges, grapefruit, all of that stuff. And they would bring the very best of their fruit in offering to God himself. What I think is so interesting is I haven't found it yet in Scripture. It must be there. There is no offering of vegetables. <laughs> there is of grain. There is of grain. You have the grain offering. That's a very common thing. But I don't see a vegetable offering. It must be. Maybe the tomatoes, cucumbers, and avocado cover that for the vegetables. We got you covered, guys. We'll take the hit. But it was offering the very best Here's what is so interesting is Paul takes that concept of what the Jewish people commonly did around this time of year and he flips it and he says, oh, by the way, you offer your very best? No, 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 no. God offered his very best. That was Jesus Christ. In fact, he offered his very own son. John 3, 16, brothers and sisters, we know this passage. Even those of us who may not know scripture well, we may know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm mixing King James with with modern language, so forgive me, okay? That whosoever believeth, you're welcome, Randall, he's not even here, (laughs) in him will not die, but have eternal life. You know what is so key about that passage? Is that it's not as though that God offered all these other ways prior to that. It's like, it's not as though God sat up there and says, well, let's try this. And then, okay, that didn't work. Let's try that. Okay, that didn't work. No, no, no. God right away offers his very best, his son. He only had one, and that was Jesus. He offered his very best. There was no one else that he could offer. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this. He Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us? How will he not also with him freely give us all things? What I love about that is God held nothing back. Held nothing back at all. At all. Now, let me just be honest with you. Um, A lot of church, a lot of pastors, and I maybe want to be tempted about this, they take this passage and they flip it around and they say, okay, um, church, you better give your very best. You know what that is? No! That's not what this is. This is simply about what God has given us and nothing more. He gave us his very best. Amen? It's Jesus Christ. And because of that, because he gave us his very best, and that is Jesus, Jesus, Therefore, gave us his all. Did you catch what Paul wrote here in these verses? Particularly, listen to this. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. That's Jesus. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is what? Death. Death. Jesus held nothing back. He did everything that he was sent to do. 
Everything. He even, as Philippians chapter 2 reminds us, he even humbled himself, made himself a little lower than the angels so that he could become like you and I. Fully human. And he died for us. And in doing so, he came to do two things, really. He came to do two things. He came to defeat evil, which, by the way, the most blatant sign of evil is what? Death. Death. You want to know we live in a world that is broken? You want to live, know that we live in a world that has fallen? Do you want to know that we live in a world that does have evil in it? You can look at wars that are going on right now. You can look at famines that are happening right now. You can look at diseases that are happening right now. But more than that, look at the result. And that is death. Death. There is still death in this world. There is still death. And Jesus, his, he came. He held nothing back. He died so that we can all live. In other words, as a result of Jesus willing to die, he defeated death, not because he died, but because he rose. He's resurrected. As Paul writes again, the second time he uses that phrase, first fruits, is that God, or rather Jesus, was the first one to be fully resurrected. Now you might say, but Dan, what about Lazarus? Oh yeah, Lazarus, that's right. Jesus resurrected Lazarus. You know what Lazarus had to do again? He had to die again. Bummer. Oh, Jesus, really? I got to do this all over again? He had to die again. Not Jesus. Jesus is the first to be resurrected. He is the first to be resurrected. And in doing so, he now gives evil the very thing that evil gives, gives us. Death. He's defeated evil. He's killed it. How do I know this? We'll get there in just a minute. But the hint is this. Jesus is alive. Death doesn't have the final word. It simply doesn't. I love what A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor, um, author, he said this. If man, or humans rather, had his way, the plan of redemption would be an endless and bloody conflict. In reality... Salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. And then he was raised from the dead. Take that death. Take that evil. You do not have the final word. I, remember, I, I love this. One pastor observed, imagine Jesus coming back, resurrected. And how do we know he was resurrected? Because he appeared to his followers and not just to the 11 who were there with him through most of his ministry, but also to hundreds of people. Paul writes that early on in this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Like over 500 people he appeared to. As one pastor, I think kind of observed uniquely here he said talk about a major letdown to be re resurrected from the dead and your friends don't even recognize you <laughs> how many times did jesus appear to them and they didn't know who he was wait a minute guys 
We did life together. It happens. It happens. Jesus gave us his all. Because God offered, all, offered us all his very best, and Jesus gave us his all, guess what? So that we could all have the very best. What's the very best? Paul writes at the end here, verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. The very best for every single one of us is eternal life with Jesus. That's the best. That's the best life. Period. Now, we get little glimpses of it right now, hopefully. Even being here this morning, little glimpses of what that eternal life will be like. But we get to have the best life, and that is life with Jesus. The kind of life he wanted for us from the very beginning when we were in the garden and Adam and Eve were there. That's the kind of life we're going to have again in a new creation in which there will be no evil, in which there will be no sin, in which there will be no sorrow, in which there will be no tears like that, in which there will be no pain. None of that will exist. That's the best life. That's the very best that we can have. And not only that, we get to be with Jesus. We get to be with Jesus. We get to walk with him and talk with him and just have a relationship with him. That's what he wanted from the very start. Now, I realize for us, you know what we tend to focus on about heaven? I can't wait to get my mansion. Right? Don't worry about where you're going to live. God has that covered. It's not going to matter. Don't worry about that stuff. Just know this. We're going to be with Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. If you saw on the wall here, there are pictures. And many of you, I want to thank you for entrusting us with pictures of your loved ones. These are beautiful pictures of so many people that mean so much to many of you, including me. As I looked at these pictures this morning as they were being put up, they have names of the individuals and their relationship to the person who sent the picture to us. And as I looked at these pictures, I loved the fact of how just joyful they are. Smiling, encouraging. It's a beautiful thing. Do you know what was interesting as I looked at these pictures, though, that was, made me kind of sad? Is I did most of the funerals for these individuals. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I looked and said, yeah. Do you know what was really cool about looking at these pictures? I did the funeral for these individuals. You know why? Because these people are alive. Because of Jesus. Because of the fact that God gave us his very best. Jesus gave his all. They now have the very best. They're living their very best lives right now. They really are. They may not be here, but they are not dead. They may not be here, but they are by no means in the ground either. They're alive. 
They're alive. And I was thinking about this. I, one of the pictures, I, I sent one of my grandmother, who was incredibly important in my life. And in some ways, it got me thinking about first fruits. It got me thinking about offering. God offered his very best. In many ways, these people represent our very best. They represent our very best that we have offered to God. And that's a beautiful thing. And I am grateful for these first fruits. You know what the reality is? Is that someday our picture may be on this wall. And someone may be standing up here as I am right now and be saying, hopefully, the things that, that we're thinking and that are being said. That we are the next generation's first fruits. That the seeds that these people have planted in our hearts will grow and become a part of who we are. That their faith will inspire us in our faith. These people may be our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our friends, even our children. But do you know who they are to Jesus? They're his children. They're his children. In addition to all of these, to who they are to us, do you know who they are also to us? The great cloud of witnesses that are speaking to us today saying, you can do this. Jesus is real. He is not dead. He is alive. You can do this. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is alive, and so are you. That's what I see when I see these pictures. Beautiful. Beautiful. First fruits. First fruits. My hope is today that the seeds that have been planted by these folks in our lives, we will plant in the lives of those that we get to have influence on. And the truth that these people speak of, that we too will be able to speak of, that God offered us all his very best. Jesus gave us his all so that we all could have the very best. Amen. My hope and my prayer for every single one of you this morning, embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end in death. It ends in life. Pray with me, please. Father, uh, Jesus, I am grateful that you are alive. I am grateful that your work is completed that while we may still die a physical death, Jesus, we do not really die. Jesus, I am grateful that you are the first fruits, that you went first, that you died and you rose again, and that because you did, Jesus, all of us who know you, all of us who, who follow you, all of us who love you, will also be resurrected. Thank you for this living hope, Jesus. Thank you for those who went before us and modeled this living hope in our very own lives. 
Father, I pray, may we never, ever forget in the pressures of daily life, in looking at our world today and thinking, how worse could this even possibly get? That we would remember and be reminded always, you're alive. Death does not have the final word. You do. And because you are alive, life is here. It's in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.